The God of Scriptures is on the move. By His grace, there is a word to be received this day. I invite you in a moment of silence to pray with me. Let's just listen for a moment. Find that part of us that can listen so that we might be attentive to God's word, spoken and written. Amen. It's a joyful thing when our children grow up and uh, they obtain their personalities and you see what they are going to be in this world. And I, I love talking to my son who is here today, and I won't talk about him very much except to say that he inherited through my maternal grandmother a deep, deep love for reading and books. And uh, he told me a story about the author Ernest Hemingway. Now, many of you may know that Hemingway, uh, he liked to drink. Um, some say it fed the fires of creativity, and others said it just fed the fire, period. Um, but he apparently, as my son tells it, found himself in a bit of a bar bet one night to see who could tell the shortest story of all. And he ended up going up to bed that night, uh, having bet his companion that he could write a complete story in six words. He came down the next morning for a cup of coffee and met his companion there, handed him a folded piece of paper. The companion opened the piece of paper and looked at it and immediately reached for his wallet and said, you have won the bet. On the piece of paper were written these six words, for sale, baby shoes, never used. Hemingway knew something about us, that we are people of imagination. We are people who can fill in the blanks put together all the pieces. All you need is a few little suggestions and our imaginations can fire off. I think sometimes when the church struggles in our generation, it's not struggling from a, a lack of inspiration. I think the Holy Spirit has been here and faithful all the time, but we often suffer from a lack of imagination. We spend so much time trying to understand the stuff that's in our wake that we, we can't look forward to imagining what it's going to be like. In this brief series for Advent, we've talked about looking forward as a longing for God. And we, we've talked about looking forward to that time when we actually begin to see how it's going to be when God appears. And today we're looking at the idea of how we should respond when God appears, when God moves, when the appointed time has arrived. And for Christians, that appointed time in so many ways has already arrived. We are a people who have experienced Emmanuel, God with us. And God with us has not stopped with a 
Easter celebration 2,000 years ago or with a Pentecost celebration a few weeks after that. The slow unfolding of this invisible kingdom has been taking place across the generations throughout the world. We are inheritors of this great news if we will have it. But how shall we respond in our time to the wonderful news that God is with us? How, how are we to respond? My professor of Old Testament in my seminary, Dr. James Sanders, a brilliant man, he commented that in much of our Gospels there are three basic responses to Jesus as he presents himself to the world or as he is presented by others. We are in the Gospel of Mark this year and the Gospel of John has just been read. And both of these Gospels are difficult for Christians at Christmas time because they begin with the adult Jesus. The Gospel of Mark begin, begins with the words, the beginning of the good news, and there's John the Baptist. And after a brief but powerful poem in the first 17 verses of the Gospel of John, there's John the Baptist again. In fact, by the time we get through the first part of Lent this year, you're going to be saying, here's Johnny, because John the Baptist will be here numerous times in our readings. And each time, turning the jewel just a little bit, so a part of the, the facet on the jewel catches the light and we can see Jesus illuminated just a little bit more. But as my Old Testament professor, Dr. Sanders, said, there were some in the time of Jesus who heard him when he said, I am the Christ and I am the Messiah, and they believed it. But oddly enough, they tend to be creatures of the spiritual realm, demons and the like. Have mercy upon us, Lord. I know who you are. You're the son of David. Jesus commanding them to be silent, to be cast into a herd of swine, over and over again casting them out. The spiritual entities in our Gospels know who Jesus claims to be, and they affirm it, even though they are opposed to him. And there's a second category of person, says Dr. Sanders, those who understand who Jesus is claiming to be, but vehemently disagree that he is who he claims to be. That is to say, we know that you're talking about the Messiah, we know you're presenting yourself as the Messiah, but we do not agree that you are the Messiah. And in Jesus' time, those were the religious leaders. And I have to tell you, as somebody who has stood in a pulpit for 32 years now, when God moves in our life, when a new direction comes, when the culture is shifting and changing, and it so becomes so obvious that God is on the move, we preachers are the last ones to get on board with what God is doing. Because it's a lot easier to stick with what we know. It's a lot easier to just... Stay with the status quo. I've spent a goodly amount of money on a seminary education, and I've been through a lot of trustee meetings. I've paid my dues to have the understanding of the church that I have, and I'm not giving it up for anything, even if God moves. But even as I approach six decades of life and 30 years in the ministry, I need to remember that we have people of imagination, 
that God has only given us the outline of the story and we, his church, are meant to fill it in. We are co-conspirators with God. As one of my colleagues loves to point out wherever he can, the word conspiracy itself, to be a conspirator is from the two Latin roots that mean to breathe with, co-inspire. God has breathed his breath of life into all creation, and God has breathed the Holy Spirit into his church. And so as conspirators, we are the ones who with our blessed God-given imagination are filling in all the blanks in the outline of God's powerful story. What would an imagination look like in our time? Walk with me. Take this afternoon and walk with me over to the river, to the Santa Ana River. Can you find a, an emancipated 17-year-old girl there sleeping in a pop-up tent who has felt something was up for a couple of months now, but nothing is showing, and all of a sudden her boyfriend or her husband says, um, you gaining weight? And she has to tell him, yeah, I think I'm pregnant. And this guy says, um, how's that again? I believe that God has visited me, and I am with child. If you let your imagination really see what's going on in the scriptures, it becomes much, much harder to just embrace the story the way that Hallmark has put it on our Christmas cards. I love, I love how they show these angelic creatures floating down in the Hallmark cards and these gigantic, burly, fight the bears and lions shepherds are cowering in fear from these little sprites who look like teenage girls at the mall as if they would be afraid of that. We have sanitized and scrubbed our stories. We, we have bought the world's version of Christmas. But they're sleeping down in the river because there's no room anywhere for those people. We as a culture don't have any place to put them right now. And so they have gone to where they can. And there might just be a couple in there that holds the key to the whole next movement of God in the world. I don't know, but it's so like the God of Scriptures to work among the fringe people of the world, not the superstars or the celebrities, not to the athletes or the politicians or the policymakers, but to small little people who had plans for their life, and then when it detoured, God continued to speak to them, and they dared to hear God. I have a colleague, now retired. He finished his seminary degree, got the doctorate, got through the Board of Ordained Ministry. His wife had finished her degree. They were newly married, and they decided to start the family, and lo and behold, she was expecting and with child. So began the season of picking out the crib and 
picking out the changing table, of talking about should we paint the room or wait till we know what flavor the child is. The long walks in the middle trimester to kind of ease the backache and to just hold hands and talk about how it was going to be as a family and so on and so forth. Going through catalogs of baby names, then the showers, then the collecting of things and the preparation and she had to deal with would-be grandmothers who just walked up to her in the shopping centers and the malls and just started touching her belly without permission. <laughs> Don't do that, by the way. And then with two weeks to go, the checkup and the concerned look and the searching stethoscope and the impossible words, I can't find the heartbeat the quick trip down the hall to the sonogram room and the confirmation. There would be no birth. A delivery, a cold and bitter winter morning on a windswept hill where a tiny body is named and laid to the rest. The taking of a life that we will only know in God's eternity. So began his time as a minister of the gospel. I think people who have given so much to prepare for ministry and then suffer a blow like that, if they are to listen to the world, would shut it all down. But he and his wife did not. They prayed. They prayed, and they prayed fervently, and God showed them a way. They never got to fill the nursery in their homes. But they heard Jesus say, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother and my sister. He told me as he was getting ready to retire that he had baptized more than 500 people, many of them children. Are they not his children? That he had performed hundreds of marriages. That he had presided at many, many funerals. But more than that, he had engaged in countless hours of counsel and of offering the gospel of grace to other people. And our world is so rich because instead of listening to the circumstances of his life, he found a way through a holy imagination to listen to the voice of God who doesn't care if you're living in a pop-up tent on the side of the river or if you're living in a mansion with a gate that has to have a code to get in. God simply doesn't care. What he does care is, will his people listen? Will his people listen? Can they respond in grace? There is a powerful moment in every great movement in history. Every great movement of God, every great movement of our culture, every great movement toward freedom and justice, liberation for those who are oppressed, every great movement has a moment somewhere where an individual, an unlikely individual, a, a, 
a by-the-way kind of ordinary, unknowable individual has a powerful, transformative experience of God. And their experience of God changes their life. And then it changes the life of the world around them. And then it changes and transforms their whole generation, even their whole world, permanently. This is what people who are responding to God do. And they do it not by setting out to change the world, but by setting out to be faithful to God. My professor, Dr. Sanders, said there was a third kind of person revealed in the Scriptures. And those, that's the person that Here's Jesus, is somehow drawn to Jesus, but has no clue on earth whatever Jesus is talking about. And Dr. Sanders loved to lean over at that point and said, those people we call disciples and apostles. They have no clue what God is talking about. They have no clue what Jesus is doing. All they know is that they have to respond and in their response, in their faithfulness, in their going forward with Christ, they became the instruments of God's salvation in the world. They became the vehicles through which he told his good news to all of us. And we are now those people. And I swear to you, from day to day to day, although they call me a pastor, I have no clue sometimes what God is doing. Maybe you feel the same way. Right then, a bunch of you said, yes, pastor, we also think you have no clue what God is doing. So let me say it for you. I don't know how it's going to work out. But God is on the move, even right here at Funko. And over the next few months, we're going to go to part of our building and we're going to claim it as a nursery for young children. We're going to pick out our toys and pick out some colors. We're going to use our imagination, and if we close our eyes and ears, we're going to hear the sound of children laughing outside in our play yard. Something incredibly hopeful and powerful about setting up a play structure. It, says, it makes a statement. Now, I don't know where the end of this period of gestation is going to lead us. Whether it will be a time of joy, whether magi will come and, and surround our children and offer gifts, or whether in the end we may have to say that it was the process of preparing that God needed us to do. But I know God is with us. And I know we have to respond. If you know who Christ is and you affirm it, God bless you. If you know who Christ claims to be and you cannot affirm it, I would invite you in our time and our generation to listen, to listen carefully, to listen for those places where God is inviting you to move into your own imagination and see the possibilities. And I invite you to listen to, to the Scriptures. And if you're a person who hears all this talk about God and Jesus and Emmanuel and God with us and you have no earthly clue what it's like, 
or what it, we're talking about, can I invite you to just hang with us for a while? Because God is already moving. God is touching us with grace even before we're aware of it. Hang with us a while. Have a cup of coffee with us. Enjoy the fellowship. Be a part of God's conspiracy of grace. And see if it doesn't suddenly strike you that there's something you can do, some way you can contribute, some word of grace that you can offer. Now, we may not hear about it here in church, and we may not write about it in the church newsletter, but when you are talking to that person in the supermarket, or when you're taking the moment to pray with your waitress at the lunch table, or when you take a few moments after work and you stand in the parking lot with a coworker and you say, let me be here for you for just a moment. When you do these things, are you not offering Christ? We are responding to God, and we do it by looking forward, by looking forward all the time. Some of you have heard me told about, tell the tale about the first time I ever sailed to Catalina Island. I was a Boy Scout. They had a scout troop over there. I was looking forward to this trip. My brother had gone and come back unkilled three times. And so I thought, well, I'm, I can do this. Now, in the old days, they didn't have the jet cat boats and they didn't have the big ferry boats. They had these little things called water taxis that could sail right into our scout camp. They weren't very tall. They just rode really low on the water. And they had these, they, they looked a lot like the boats in the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland, okay? And they had these little canvas tarps that they could roll down if the spray got too much. And they piled all the stuff on the center over the engine compartment, all the bags and all the luggage. And then they sat us all around the outside. And on the day we made our trip to Catalina Island, the swells in the channel were six to ten feet. And, and it took a little over two hours. And there were lots of guys who um, had their lunch twice that day. Um, and I was feeling a little queasy and cross-eyed myself. There was such great comfort in staring at the boat behind us, at the wake in the water, at the land as it was receding. And the problem with that crossing that day was there was so much haze in the channel that you couldn't see Catalina when we set out. And because I didn't know what I was looking for, I just kept straining, and there was nothing, nothing but slate gray clouds and cloud banks, and it was really rather daunting on that pitching and rolling sea. So I kept staring at the wake, because in the wake I could see something familiar, the sights and sounds of San Pedro and the Los Angeles Harbor. And even when they were so faint that I could hardly see them anymore, they had receded so far from view I still knew what I was looking at because I had seen it when we left. Are you with me? And then I turned around and nothing but clouds and clouds and clouds until somebody said, there it is! And like a miracle, suddenly you could see the, the rocks and the canyons, the shoreline. And it turned out we had been looking at it for over 20 minutes. 
but because we didn't know what we were looking at, we thought it was a bunch of clouds. This is how God works in our lives. Revealing our future, begging us to engage our imagination, hoping against hope that we will be this year's conspirators with him. We're already seeing the kingdom, but we don't know it yet because it is still being revealed. Will you help me reveal it? Will you help me show it to the world? Will we be the ones who, even though we have no clue what we're talking about, respond to God in grace and faith and make his kingdom real today and always? Amen.